Welcome to a very special recording today because we have Storm Eunice, um, not blazing I suppose, but roaring in the background. It's taken out our power, so I'm recording on my battery powered equipment. Uh, a message that I really feel that the Lord has laid on my heart. So you may hear banging in the background as the fences crash and the wind rips the trees, takes the twigs off, but it's real and it's exciting. This is a message called A Lover is a Giver. It's Lex here from Messenger Ministries with a message on my heart from God to you and to me. I believe God has impressed upon my heart this week that, and I quote, you get what you preach. Paul said he preached Christ and him crucified, and thus he saw the results of what the crucifixion made available in his own ministry. Evangelical churches that have consistently preached a message of salvation from sin get sinners saved. Liberal churches who preach a message of non-judgmental acceptance attract people from all walks of life and give them sanctuary. Charismatic churches who preach a message of divine healing get many people healed. Prosperity churches that preach God wants your soul to prosper get people beginning to enjoy the prosperity of their souls. And that, according to 3 John 2, should lead to a better journey in life. That's the literal translation of prosper and have good health. So John says to his friend, I pray above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. In other words, health, wealth and well-being. This is, of course, wealth as God defines both the content and the process. For multitudes of Christians, wealth is not a blessing, but instead is a master. Money makes for a wonderful servant and for a merciless master. You cannot serve God and mammon. I reflected today on many important matters, including how many significant heroes of the faith were great givers. One who loves is one who gives. Think of Dorcas, Cornelius and Paul. Dorcas. In Joppa there was this amazing disciple who we know as Dorcas and Tabitha. Dorcas was, and I quote, full of good works and almsgiving. She was a dressmaker, at least as a hobby, and this is important to the story. Dorcas became ill and died. Yes, believers still become ill and sometimes die. This may be a shock to some faith preachers, but is hugely useful in setting correct expectations. In the world, we're going to have a lot of trouble, but be of good cheer, Jesus has overcome the world. Nevertheless, in Dorcas' case, it was clearly God's will that something wonderful could happen. Something that was then recorded in the scriptures forever, for all eternity. Knowing that Peter was in a nearby town, the disciples sent him a message, pleading with him to come without delay. Peter came to Joppa and was taken to the upper room where Dorcas had been prepared for burial. Here's the giving aspect. Surrounding Dorcas's body were a group of weeping widows. They showed Peter the tunics and garments that Dorcas had made for them. Dorcas our hero of faith was a giver. Of course, we have a delightfully happy ending to the story. Peter shoos them all away, 
so that he can pray. He knelt down and prayed. Then turning to the body, he says, Tabitha, arise. She opens her eyes and sits up, and touchingly he offers her his hand and lifts her up so that she may be restored to the saints and widows. You can read all about this for yourself in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts, beginning at verse 36. Tabitha, or Dorcas, wasn't raised from the dead because she was a giver, but it is nevertheless interesting that the account draws attention to her generosity. Cornelius. The very next chapter celebrates the opening of the way to life, the gospel, to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. From verse 1 of chapter 10 of the book of Acts, we learn about a Roman centurion called Cornelius. He is described as a devout man, and one who feared God with all his household, who gave many alms to the people, and continually prayed to God. I find this fascinating, that spirituality is most definitely of earthly good. Jesus was unambiguously clear on the point that genuine spirituality is shown in acts of generous kindness to others. In the parable of the sheep and the goats, Matthew 25 from verse 31, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, as you have done it for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you have done it for me. Whatever we do to others is counted as being done to Jesus. Paul. Paul is very strong on the grace of giving. In fact, he quotes a saying of Jesus that we have not yet found in any gospel. It is more blessing, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You can read this in Acts chapter 20 verse 35. Paul places this in the context of the way he had provided for the needs, his own needs, and for those who were with him when serving the church at Ephesus. In Philippians, Paul thanks them for investing in his ministry, the Philippians. Reading from chapter 4, verse 15. No church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you alone. Even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessity, not because I desired a gift, but I desire fruit that accumulates to your account. This seems like commercial language to me. We all want to be fruitful in our walk with God. After all, God looks for fruit. Here then, Paul is suggesting, I think, that he didn't need their help. His eyes were always on God as his supplier. But he did desire that they bear good fruit. He continues, But I have everything and abound. This encourages me enormously. Why? Because Jesus was equally unambiguous in his promise when he says, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. That's John 10.10. 10. The letter continues, I've been filled, having received from Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, like a sweet fragrance, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. The church we're currently working through Leviticus. What strikes me is the enormous, enormous cost of worshipping God under the patterns of the Old Covenant. It goes way beyond tithing, which one would argue is pre-covenant anyway, given that Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek before we have the Mosaic Covenant. Worshipping God is expensive. It costs. It's a sacrifice. 
How many of us give almost nothing material in our worship of the living God? Paul has a different heart. He concludes in Philippians, but my God shall supply your every need. God was Paul's employer. God was Paul's paymaster. God was Paul's banker. God was Paul's financier. God was Paul's supplier. Like Abraham, Paul was looking to no man to make him rich. But Paul's next words should strike joy into the heart of every true believer. God will supply every need of the generous Philippians according to God's own measure. Here's what he says. But my God shall supply your every need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God in glory is rich. And he's going to supply our need, not according to mankind's measure, but according to his measure. He's got a big hand, a big span. His span measures oceans. God is going to meet our needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And then Jesus, let's let the master have the final words today. In Luke 6, 38, Jesus says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will men give unto you. I can see that big um, sack of grain. You imagine that, good measure. So you pour in the grain, you press it down, and you shake the sack, and then you pour in more until it's running over. So Jesus says, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will men give unto you. And that was the shock for me. Men, not God, men give and it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will men give unto you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. And that's also in the context of forgiveness and mercy. In how much of what we've shared above does human activity play a role, play a part? In all of it. Dorcas Dorcas, Tabitha, made garments for the widows. A human being did the acts of kindness. She was full of good works and almsgiving. Cornelius expressed his life of devotion not only through prayer, but also through practical works of almsgiving, something God's angel declared to be a sacrifice pleasing to God. Acts 10 verse 4 says, The angel says to Cornelius, Your prayers and your arms have come up as a memorial before God. Paul says the gifts of the Philippians the gifts that the Philippians are are like offerings. In fact, most churches, when taking up the collection, call it an offering. To love God then is to give to others. To give generously to others is as if we are doing it to Jesus. To give is to love God. I am grateful that God makes his leading and direction so simple to understand. Be a lover. Be a giver. Be a giver. Be a lover. A lover is a giver. A giver is a lover. Oh, and I suppose I'd better make one final thing unambiguously clear. When you give because you feel compelled to, it doesn't count. <laughs> if you're giving hoping to receive, it doesn't work. It's not magic. 
and you're not twisting God's arm, making him give to you. No, God loves a cheerful giver, someone who gets a thrill, who gets a buzz out of giving. Someone for whom giving is a pleasure, even fun. Check out the words written by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll start at verse 6, but I'd recommend that you read the whole chapter. I quote, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Let every man give according to the purposes of his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. If we do this, the promise is gorgeous. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, so that you, having enough of everything, may abound to every good work. Isn't that wonderful? I feel a need to finish with the verses that follow. So I continue quoting, As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor. His righteousness remains forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and supplies bread for your food will also multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Look at this link between giving and righteousness. Let me go back to that. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor. His righteousness remains forever. It looks like something, there's an element of being right with God, means being right with our fellow humans to be generous. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and supplies bread for your food will also multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. So you will be enriched in everything to all bountifulness which makes us give thanks to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but is abundant also through many thanksgivings to God. Meanwhile, through the performance of this ministry, yes, it's a ministry. Giving is a ministry. They glorify God for the profession of your faith in the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all others. So here we have our giving resulting in thanksgiving to God, resulting in glory to God and resulting in more prayer. He goes on, and in their prayer for you, they long for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. A lover is a giver. A giver is a lover.